0: Welcome to Last Dish, where we dive into the recipes of outlier hospitality leaders and the mindsets that got them there.
1: Welcome back to Last Dish. This is Adam Smith alongside my co host, Chef Stephen El Hassan. This was a new one for us our first interview via Zoom as we continue to battle COVID 19. We spoke with Celebrity Master Chef David Burke about the start of his career and the challenges of the ever-changing COVID-19 pandemic. We were fascinated about the ideas Chef had for the future of the industry, while also giving advice to small business owners during this tough business climate. We even learned about Chef's new partner in crime, his puppet. Enjoy this one, folks. Where, where are you sheltered up right now? I'm in Ventanas in Fort Lee.
0: Oh, very cool. Awesome. Yep. This is- this is probably the most video conferencing you've ever done in your entire life in the past two weeks. I,
2: I didn't even know how to spell Zoom last week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're on Fox News every other hour. It's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you for your time. And I guess we can just just jump right into it. But again, um, who we are as Last Dish, Chef Steven and I, uh, we really wanted to um, work with and, and talk with hospitality leaders in, in industry and. And see what it is that they do so special and what makes somebody successful or not in the industry, uh, both from an X's and O's standpoint, but also uh, from a mindset standpoint of how they lead their team and the like. Um, So, if if you don't mind, can you just kind of take us through, like high level, um, how you got your start in the career and kind of where you brought to today?
2: I started out, uh, you know, in the 70s as a dishwasher. And,. uh, I went to the Culinary Institute of America in 1980. I moved to Europe in 82. Um, worked in Europe, came back to New York, worked for uh, various French restaurants in uh, uh, Westchester, New York City. Ended up at the, you know, worked for Wilde Malouf, Daniel Ballou, Charlie Palmer. Ended at the River Cafe as a number two. Spent two years there, moved back to Europe and France and studied pastry for several months, came back to New York and took over the River Cafe in 1987, uh, spent another five years there. And in 1992, I opened a restaurant called Park Avenue Cafe with the founder of Smith and Walensky and TJ Fridays, Alan Stillman. That was on Park Avenue 63rd, 10 years there. While, while that was up and going, we created a concept called Maloney Porcelli Steakhouse. And then I opened a bunch of Smith and Walensky's with them company went public I opened my own company called uh, the David Burke group we created David Burke and Donatella and various other restaurants from Vegas to Chicago and uh, and uh, that company split in half at one point and now it's, called, it's still called the David Burke group and we've got about uh, we operate manage and own in combination about a dozen restaurants with another six. Or seven to be opened within the next—that's called eighteen months.
0: Wow, Chef, did you always envision yourself as going to be a restaurateur? You know, when you were even in, in the dishwasher. No. The dishwasher. Then you went to culinary school. When did that? When did that transition? Well,
2: you know, that's a good question. When when we were young chefs or, or, or students at the CIA in those days, you really didn't—you wanted to be a chef, obviously. That's why we went to cooking school. And I think that was about the limitation of, of your desire and, uh, and what you could achieve, I think, because there were no chef owners. There were very few that you could look up to. The, the Food Network wasn't around. You had, uh, you know, there weren't mentor types yet. You know, the Wolfgang Pucks weren't developed yet. And the, the chef entrepreneur was not yet conceived, maybe somewhere, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't visible. So you wanted to really be a great chef, whether it be in your own restaurant one day or on a cruise ship or country club or whatever. But the goal was to become a good chef. Uh, Eating habits changed, opportunities opened, the respect for being a chef uh, and the the, the chefs becoming more business oriented and also becoming, you know, the minor celebrities all helped in getting to, to opening those doors to entrepreneurship and ownership. But no, that was not the goal. The goal was to be a great chef.
0: Love that. And then, when you said there wasn't that many, you know, mentors you could look up to. I mean, I've been very grateful. I actually went to ICC myself, um, so I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a rival of CIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Um, you know, I've been very blessed to see a lot of mentors and you know people that I aspire to to be. And and when you were a young chef, was there any of mentors out there that? Uh, that you envisioned? Is that why you, you uh, paired up with uh, chef Daniel?
2: Well, when I was a dishwasher, I worked in these places on the Jersey shore and the, the chefs were great. They, you know, they weren't CIA guys. They were Vietnam guys that came back, learned how to cook, knew how to cook, worked hard, did all the butchering. And I worked in a couple decent hotels and a country club. And uh, I was just amazed by the food and the camaraderie and the teamwork and the lack of corporate, uh, Structure where you know you could come into a kitchen and be who you were, and then yeah. when push came to shove and business showed up, it was like game time, game on, you know. Yeah, so they really came in. These guys, you know, back then they'd smoke and have a beer and and and, and coffee, and uh, and and uh, and, and the jovialness and the camaraderie was there, and uh, you yeah. know, the locker room banter a little bit, you know, it was a boys club back then, there weren't no females in the kitchen, and uh. And uh, then business – you know, they, then they got on the line and the band began to play, and that was it. And it was showtime for three or four hours. And you couldn't believe those same guys were performing at that level when, when the lights were on as, as the same guys that were cutting each other up all afternoon. I mean, so there was a lot of fun in that. There was a lot of uh, uh, freedom of thinking and freedom of expression and also the freedom of uh, – creation you know being able to create something uh one day you know being able to say hey i made that dish so that was the exciting part of it. and the, the ability to learn so quickly and and uh every day and, and to forget about the eating part i mean i was eating I was a dish <laughs> right now a club sandwich to me was like a treat
0: oh that's absolutely. a big deal
2: i mean you don't get a club sandwich at home but, you know just to see the size of it and be able to walk past and grab a slab of bacon and, and a piece of cheese and, uh, and you know, leftover pasta, you know. It's like, wow, this is great, you know. So that, that, all that was excitement, but it was also, it was different. You know what I mean? It was, there were different hours, and you didn't have to dress a certain way. You didn't have to show up with a tie and sit at a desk and punch a clock. You know, it was like, you had to punch in back then, but there was just, there was a renegade feel. And it, was, it was like being on a, on a certain, being in a club you know, and you got accepted into that kitchen and you were one of the guys. And it was, as a 16 year old, that's a big deal. Not to mention the chef had a Corvette and a, and was dating a model. So that kind of
1: helped. <laughs> Not a bad sign. That's Yeah, good. you know,
2: those are all good indicators of, I think I can do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a nice bonus, nice perk. Um, chef, so speaking of creating, whether it's dishes, whether it's concepts, different restaurants, um, what is it that you look for when you want to open something up or, or become a part of something?
2: Well, opportunity. Uh, has, location is important and uh, demographic of, of that location. <clears throat> uh, visual, uh, visibility from a street or a hotel, uh, what type of city it's in? Do we want to be there? Do we want to at this stage of my life and my age, do I want to even fly to that city or be there. You know, so I, I don't need to be a pioneer and recreate a neighborhood either, or a city or, or, or a, uh, a town. So um, we want to be in bed with people we like and respect, number one. Uh, we want to be able to trust them, and it be, meaning, you know, partners and investors. And we also want to be in a town that has the right vibe and respect for what we do. You know, airports and, and casinos is a little different, you know, this built in business. But sure. in general, that's a. And also, if you look at the city and the, the, the uh, you know, even pre pre uh, COVID, you look at the city, um, you know, New York City. It's just too hard to make money now. The minimum wage is so high, the rents are so high, the benefit package for the employees is so high, the board of health busts your jobs. So it's it's almost like why should why bother? So unless you're going to get a license deal, a management deal, which we can get because our brand is strong, and that's what we work for. That's what uh, we try to look for. We don't wanna-
0: Chef, you know, you just, you just spoke, um, you know, about that, about the transition of, you know, where we're going. Um, It's unfortunate that, you know, now as we have conversations with, you know, local uh, chefs and restaurateurs and outliers like yourself, it's pretty impossible not to talk about COVID and where the future of food is going. Um, So where do you think it's, it's transitioning, you know, before, obviously you're looking for all those factors, but like you just said about those, um, you know, with like high rents, You know, the the minimum wage it's going to be, I'm, I'm the thing that I'm really concerned about is not concerned, but you know, people are getting on filing for unemployment and this and that, but to get them out of unemployment, they're going to be like, we're making more money now with unemployment than we ever were.
2: Yeah, but that, that dries up. And when that dries up, there won't be jobs left. If they don't take the jobs that they're offered to come back now, there's a good chance that they won't find the right position. I mean, because there's going to be – if the restaurant industry takes a 25% hit like it's predicted and for 25% of restaurants not opening and the other restaurants that are opening are only doing 50 to 60 to 70% of the business they once were, there's a lot less jobs out there. So if you don't want to, if you don't take the job you're offered and you want to milk another five weeks out of unemployment, so I think it's a foolish way to go because there's going to be slim pickings once we hit the ground, once we start to really roll in September.
1: That's a great way to think but, about
2: you know, it. And then the loyalty goes both ways. You know, if we need someone to come back and work for us now because we're relaunching and lift the heavy lifting at the beginning to reopen, and they want to sit it out, and I can see why they would want to sit it out, then the loyalty uh, goes to a new employee or the ones that did come in and help out. Uh,
1: makes a lot of sense, Chef. What was go, going back to when COVID was starting? What was your initial reaction? because um, I know you have restaurants and concepts in both New Jersey, New York, and beyond, um, but being, of course, this is the epicenter here in the East Coast, what was your first reaction um, as a business owner, as a chef?
2: Well, my first reaction was, you know, we can, uh, we can ride it out, you know, and uh, after the first two weeks in March were terrible anyway. We lost a lot of money anyway, and I was like, you know, and then finally we came to the conclusion that we just need to close. It. And New York City, we closed completely. New Jersey, we stayed open for takeout. But New York was just too risky, too toxic at the time. And uh, and it wouldn't have made sense to, to do deliveries in New York with all the other restaurants and have people come in and commute to New York. And our, it was just easier for us to close, lock up. And that's what we did. But, you know, we didn't know what was happening. and you know, We we're, we're, we listened to the news, and the news is, you know, depending on what news you listen to, you're getting one side or another side. So, you know, people were telling us it's okay to go out and eat in Chinatown, and other people were saying stay home. So, you know, what? You know, one way or the other, we don't know which way to, we landed on a, you know, we think we're going to land on our feet. We're confident, but uh, we need to, we need to uh, you know, we need to wait, wait it out, learn from some of the southern states or the other states that are going to open ahead of us, see what they're doing, and then take it to the next level.
0: What have you been communic- leading your team? How have you been communicating with, um, you know, what, what have you been communicating with your team? What have you been saying to them?
2: Well, we have weekly meetings at a social distance. You know, we have uh, more than that on the phone. We have each chef and manager making sure they're calling their uh, staff to stay in touch with them throughout the week, make sure everybody uh, was, was getting the unemployment they deserve. And uh, if we needed to help financially while people waited, we did. We're out raising money to feed the heroes. We're uh, – Cooking for hospitals and healthcare workers and first responders in our New Jersey restaurants and New York, and we're keeping busy. We're shooting some videos on my Chef David Burke Instagram p- platform with my new uh, puppet. So we got a little <laughs> video action going on. <laughs> so you know we, we figured it out we're doing some work right now with Buckhead Beef and uh, trying to do some stuff with QVC and yeah keep busy. Luckily we have a few irons in the fire for new development, which gives us time to. Uh, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Saudi Arabia, and others in Jersey. So we're, you know, we're replanning some of that. We put, the, you know, we, we, we cut back on some of our salaries and the corporate side. And now we're still, you know,
1: working as a team to get
2: through it. That's, that's what we
1: need to do. When you say replanning, um, can you kind of dive into that a bit more? Is it more so the physical space itself, or yes, the
2: physical space? How we're going to space out the tables? We're going to put up some plastic walls. Are we going to we're going to put some seating out in the parking lots? Uh, we're talking about doing a drive-in movie uh, where people can eat in their cars, and we sh- we have a big uh, lawn at one of our properties, and we can have maybe fifty cars. And uh, how we can get them hooked up and watch a movie and feed them uh, like the old, I don't know if you guys are old enough, but there once was something called driving movies.
1: I've been, I've been, piece. believe it or not.
2: And actually, the town I grew up in, in Jersey, had the last one in the state. And where that is was, uh, that? Hazlitt,
0: Hazlitt, New Jersey. Is that where you grew up in, in, uh, in Jersey, Hazlitt? Yeah. My
1: business partner uh, grew up in Hazlitt as well. I'm from Monmouth County myself, so I'm very oh, familiar yeah. with their Seabright locations and have plenty oh, yeah. of friends at Driftwood and everything i oh, good. Yeah. Can you kind of talk us through, and you mentioned uh, doing a lot of great things for the frontline workers, uh, your Feed the Heroes campaign. Can you just maybe talk us through the infancy of that and, and the birth of that and then kind of a little bit more about it?
2: Well, the Feed the Heroes, uh, the platform and the campaign, we, we raise money by from donors. The money goes to, uh, to, to the David Burke group. We take that money then and use it to uh, – I supplies food mainly so we try to make sandwiches at a limited cost of or, or replacement meals and then we find that we we have requests from different hospitals that say we need 300 meals here 200 meals here 100 meals there and we put that money towards those meals and we deliver the meals to the hospitals for free.
0: That's chef what, what advice do you have I mean obviously your business mindset is just as gifted as your as your chef experience um you know, for local small businesses in in Jersey and New York, what advice would you have for them? You know, for those mom and pops, for those pizzerias. Well,
2: listen, the mom and pops the, the mom and pops are usually stuffed with uh, hardworking people, so they're not afraid of work and they're resilient. And they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to keep their spirits high. They're gonna have to be confident that this will come back. And it's tough to you know keep throwing that sledgehammer at the rock, but that's what they got to do for a little while. To, and it'll come back, and the cream will rise to the top. The ones that are willing to go the distance, it'll be there for them. Hopefully, you'll get the small business loan that we need. And if you don't, you need to figure it out. But there'll be there'll be help somewhere somehow. Um, and you know, you, you, you worked already this hard to build a dream. You gotta you gotta see it through. You gotta see it through. You don't give up. There's always going to be help out there. And if it's not coming from the government, it'll come from your neighbors. It'll come from other restaurant people. Once other restaurant people start to get their feet back together and they get some resources and some cash flow, they will help another restaurant tour down the street, like always.
1: Love that. Love that. Can you – and you mentioned this a little bit on on your Fox News interview. And a little bit you mentioned how you're going to gear yourselves off these southern states of what they're going to be doing. But can you talk a little bit about the changes that you foresee from a protocol standpoint? Um, and again, it's, it's impossible to see the future, but just curious on on what you're thinking.
2: Well, I I think one of the first things we're going to notice is that we're going to have to pet. We're going to have to do a better check-in with employees that come to work. There's going to have to be a check-in, mean making sure they're healthy, they're clean. You know, they're they're coming to work in a a proper state of mind and clean. You know, whether You know, they can't come in to work with a cold and a hangover and disheveled and this and that. So I think you're going to need to have a more focused, feeling and looking employee. Uh, I think that would make me feel better as opposed to walking into a restaurant and seeing a bartender that's wiping his nose or whatever. You know, so we're going to have to have the hygiene and the uh, the healthy looking employee, um, uh, not disgruntled employee, and uh, you know. I think that'll be one aspect of it. I think visible signs of cleanliness and uh, messaging that says at this restaurant, we do this for you. You know, for example, every, you know, please excuse us, but, or this, this seat is reserved for space requirements, et cetera, et cetera. you'll see some of this, you'll see menus that are disposable. You'll see more gloves and masks. Uh, You might see some, uh, you know, some uh, distancing, uh, and some clever ways of serving food or drinks that might come in, things that are unwrapped. We're, we're talking about using the church collection baskets to serve bread where we don't even have to go that close to the table.
1: Nice. So, you, know,
2: <laughs> so you grab your roll, throw a buck in, and we'll call it a day. So, so we're going to play I with love some that. creative things like that. Yeah, the bartender could do the same. He could put a can of beer or a bottle of beer in a church basket send it over to the other end of the bar those, I claws. Love it. those claws yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know you'll see there'll be there's going to be some there's going to be some creative thinking going on out there the, the next concept to, there might be a puppet handing you something you know i love that I mean, next
1: concept is the, the chapel of david burke there we
0: go
2: Sounds right, right. <laughs> father burke
1: <laughs> yeah
2: Houses of the unholy.
0: <laughs> it sounds like funny or silly, but I feel like consumers really would appreciate that. You know, I think You know,
2: it's a thought, you know, we got, we're very creative people in this business and uh, necessity drives creativity sometimes. And I think, you know, you'll see some stuff that's, wow, that, that's, that's actually a pretty good idea, you know, and, uh, it'll work. and you, know, you got to turn it in. Listen, laughter is a great thing in times like this. And if you can put a smile on people's faces through, uh, uh, through, uh, being clever or witty and making sense. I think that, that, that adds to it as well.
0: Absolutely. People don't want
2: to go up in a restaurant and, be, and feel like you're in a hospital or in a quarantine mode. So, you know, they want to feel like the effort's being made, but there's a, there's a comfort level there by the employees and the ownership and the management that says you're in, you're in a, a non-toxic place and a safe place.
1: Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. I'm curious for all the restaurants that you have, are there certain um, ones that would fare better than others right now or in the future, or is it kind of the same across the board? Yeah, for-
2: No, I think the ones that, in New York city's tougher because of the, the, you know, the tightness of the tables, the bathrooms, the kitchens are small, the bars are small. And when you look at the Ventana, we have outdoor seating, we have three different rooms, you know seabright has got an outdoor deck we've got a big parking lot we can use we've got three different rooms we got a beach orange lawn in south orange we have we have a huge lawn we have different rooms we have the ballroom and you know so we can spread people out new york you can and new york you're paying a high per square foot rent than anywhere else in the country and if you start taking tables away how much are those landlords going to be willing to drop the rent I mean, I sure. think right now they're willing to work with you because there's, nobody else is going to go in and take those restaurants, but they could be released out for something else. So, so it'll be an interesting uh, – you know, the sooner we can get back up to full speed safely, the better off we're all going to be. But, you know, that's that, – that the crystal ball doesn't tell you when. Like you can't make a budget based on that.
0: Sure, Absolutely. Um, chef, real quick, let's, you know, to lighten it up a little bit, I would like to you know, go down memory lane real quick, just some, as a, just a, being a fanboy of you and uh, as a young chef, ad- admiring what you have accomplished. Um, throughout your career, you have won countless awards. Out of all of the awards, is there any one that stands out as just being one of those accomplishments that you really feel like it really hit home? You know,
2: great question. I won a really big award in 1988 representing the United States and was a two awards, one from Japan and one from France. And I look back on that one now and that, that that was a really big deal. At the time I had no idea how big it was and I was too busy and too, uh, too young to really appreciate it. I mean, it came and it came and it was one of, you know, it was the only American to win that award ever. And it kind of got brushed aside, (laughs) you know, because you know, people didn't believe it and you know, i had no idea the value of it so i look at it now and and that's a very important piece for me uh and, and award and the, the determination to go to japan and win that it's just kind of mind-boggling that the energy and the, and the adrenaline we had and the and the fact that we <laughs> failure was not an option when we walked into japan me and my sous chef, and i told them that and we wound up winning so i appreciate that a lot because we really yeah you know, tooth and nail we went after that and of course the other ones are important too uh and i think some of the other awards that we get not only for cooking but the ones you do for like the american red cross or the cancer society where you're getting awarded because you're raising money for their causes i think that's pretty those are pretty good too
0: after after winning all of those awards what creates what what keeps that hunger inside of you where where did you get that you know well the problem
2: with winning all the awards is you got to buy a big house to hang them up in. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, award, the awards are, listen, they're great, and you should appreciate them. But when you're in the trenches working hard and doing this, the, the rat race that the chef world is in, you really ha- don't have the time to appreciate them. And, and this, you know, being able to unpack some of this stuff lately because of uh, what's happening, you can look back and say, wow, that's, that, these things are, you know, the award is only worth what the work, that if you can understand the work that went into it. And you know, we don't really go after awards. They, they be, they're they awarded to you because you did a great job. And, and it, they're really pretty amazing if you think about it. If your peers voted you into something in, a, in an industry so competitive, it's a pretty big deal. So, you, you know, you got to have the time to appreciate it. And I know it leads to other things, this and that, but. We live in a world—at least I did in New York City—where the chef is. We're, we get an award, and we're worried about tomorrow's special first. What's the next dish? What's the next, What is he doing over there? What are we gonna do? So you know, we're 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 on that we're on that hamster wheel all the time. So uh, they're good and they help, but they don't put seats or they don't put bodies in seats. So the, the award goes to the guy who can keep a restaurant full for 30 years and uh and be on top of his game so that's the that the the reward is, is the resiliency
1: that's great so staying on awards in 2003 you got awarded by timeout new york best culinary prankster i have to ask about that can you can you speak to that a little bit
2: yeah i have no idea what what they're <laughs> talking
1: about <laughs> all right I it's guess. on your website so maybe we got some details yeah, yeah, there I, once I, it's all over I think they, kind of, they <laughs> made up an
2: award because we were our creativity and our whimsy and this and that was, uh, was at its peak. And uh, we, we would, I guess, in our verbiage and some of our presentations, like clothesline bacon and some of the things we back then were almost prankish, deliciously wonderful and visually intoxicating, but almost laughable to a point of like we're creating stuff at such a high pace. And breaking down the, the, the law of fine dining and making it a little more fun. Awesome. Almost laughing at laughing at
0: authority. And what's funny about that is I didn't know that you did the bacon on the clothesline. Like that has actually become a, a very popular trend. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Candy bacon, smoke you know, they, there's different varieties of that, but that's become yeah. a massive uh, a massive trend in brunch in the brunch world for sure. Yep. Yeah.
1: I want to ask a little bit, too, speaking of cooking, too, and um, going forward, your puppet, how, how did that come about? Was that your idea? You just said, you know what, let's let's get a partner here. And uh, Well,
2: the puppet, I had a couple of puppets from years ago. I bought some puppets at 3 in the morning. I won't tell you where I was, but I bought some puppets <laughs> one night out on a late night. <laughs> they were really beautiful, uh, and I had them. And then I was going to take ventriloquist classes again, that was my back burner thing, never got to it. I tried to do it online, and it's very hard to teach yourself how to throw your voice. So I had these puppets. I was dating a wonderful girl a couple of years ago, and she bought me a puppet for my birthday because she saw the other puppets, and she thought it would be a hook because I was talking about doing a cooking show with a puppet as my sous chef, and I wanted to, I wanted to shoot a pilot. Anyway... Never got to it. People laughed about it. Nobody believed in it. Da, 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 da. And I'm sitting at home looking at the puppet. And I want to start doing a cooking video. So I'm like, if I'm not going to try it now, it's never going to happen. And then me and Lefto went at it.
0: That's hilarious. So
2: the, puppet is, the puppet's got a little
0: momentum right now. I see that. It looks great on Instagram. Um, you're you know, now we're pretty much wrapping up, and I, I really do appreciate your time. Real quick, chef, you know, just as some fun questions before our lightning round. Um, your job title changes every day chef, restaurateur, creator, celebrity. Um, what's the Thera- ideal therapist? Yeah, therapist, Thera- <laughs> HR for sure. Lone shark. What's what's the <laughs> ideal workday look like for you?
2: Um, well, when all the restaurants are open, the ideal work day is say, well, get up, drink some coffee, get going, check into one or two. Usually I try to hit two or three restaurants a day, uh, change menus, look at some specials, meet with the corporate team, uh, get caught up on future uh, projects, and hopefully see progress being made and consistency being held. And uh, and people maturing and getting better at their jobs. You know, there's nothing better than walking into a restaurant and seeing it seeing the first thing a restaurateur can feel when they walk in a restaurant is whether the guests are happy or not and if it's smooth. It doesn't be, there's just the feeling in the air and on and the look of people's faces, there's attention. And then see some food that maybe impresses you, a special or this or that, or the energy and the choreography of the dining room in sync. And you know, that's that's and I end my day with a decent meal and get home safe and uh and 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 have a plan for the next day. Yeah. You know, we're constantly trying to make progress, we have to make progress on a daily basis. And I think we're, we're adrenaline junkies. And if we always, you know, at a certain point, you know, you always look for something to be wrong because we're so used to something being wrong. There's so many moving parts in a restaurant, So when you get a day where everything went pretty good, that's a really good day,
0: yeah. Um, it's almost like you're kind of looking for problems because that is your job is to solve. That, problems. Well,
2: that's exactly right. You gotta, well, you gotta anticipate that tomato in the air before it hits you in the face, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, because there's tomatoes in the air all around us in the restaurant.
0: Last question: What advice would you give young, inspired? Restaurant tours you know, they own there. They're an executive chef of one restaurant. And they they envision to have a restaurant group one day
2: Yeah Well the advice I would give them is to be patient and make sure you get the right deal and the right partners and Make sure you got plenty of backup money and make sure you've got a good deal and a good lease and do not rush into it Because right. if you do it too early and you fail It's gonna be awfully hard to get back and try and do it again and get somebody to believe in you so uh, patience 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 and learn and ask a lot of questions from any other uh, uh, restaurateurs or people that you admire. And don't be afraid to pick up the phone and ask questions of them. Most uh, young entrepreneurs or young chefs or restaurant owners, if you send them an email and say, by the way, you mind if I pick your brain for 30 minutes? I've got to, I want to open a long restaurant. What do you think? Most people will give you the time. And questions don't cost you anything.
0: Love that. Absolutely. All right, lightning round, chef uh dinner with three people dead or alive who would they be (laughs)
2: uh einstein dwayne allman my grandfather
1: love that so you're 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 at dinner this dinner that you just mentioned what are you cooking
2: whole roasted something all roasted something that doesn't have to be exactly cut into portions because Einstein's there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does the word hospitality mean to you?
2: Um, kindness, uh, anticipation, um, a little bit of show-offness, and uh, ensuring comfort.
1: If you could have one superpower, what would it be?
2: I'd like to be an invisible man
0: in the in your restaurants to see what's really going on. Exactly. Uh, not,
2: not, I'd like to have an invisible switch. I don't want to be invisible all the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Besides yourself, who do you think the top three chefs are in the game right now? Oh,
2: that's a tough one because I don't know a lot of the younger ones, so I couldn't really yeah. answer that correctly. Um, i I don't know that's a, that's too hard for me because I just don't know the uh a lot of the chefs in this country that I don't know by name and I don't know a lot of the younger ones, but I can't answer that. I can tell you there's a lot of good cooking going on out there and uh there's a lot of good ethnic food there's a lot of good there's great food in Chicago I'll tell you the cities I like there d c and Chicago I like a lot New York of course is great um and I'm liking um, uh, Asheville, North Carolina.
0: That's, I haven't heard of that at all, actually. As no, a, that's, I well, now you know. did it's, it's big with beer, I know, right? I guess
1: the food game is coming along with Asheville, it.
0: Asheville, North Carolina? It sounds, sounds like I know where I'm going to open my next bagel store.
1: Well, <laughs> you, you might beat us to it.
0: <laughs> uh, 86, a food trend. What would it be? Pardon me? 86, a food trend what would it be gluten-free amen to that amen
1: that's great um again i really appreciate your time chef just last one is there anything that our audience can do for you um again we appreciate all the time and the insights that you gave um we'd love to share some things with our audience that they can help you with we
2: would love for your audience to help Feed the Heroes, our campaign to help get our employees back to work and feed some of the, uh, some of the hard-working Americans that are feeding people in hospitals, working in hospitals, et cetera. So it's Chef David Burke Feed the Heroes. Um, you can go to the website. That would be very helpful, and I appreciate you guys taking the time and inviting me on your show. It
0: was of a course. pleasure. Now, thank you again, thank you, so Chef. Really appreciate it. Right. Bye-bye. i will see you soon. Bye now.
1: Thank you all so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please feel free to give us a review on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram at last.dish. That's L-A-S-T dot D-I-S-H.
0: Share with your friends, your family, your mailman, your dentist, the garbage man, everybody. Much love, people.